What good and weighty and important words to sing. That soul, though a hell, should endeavor to shake, I will never forsake. And when we see the images on the screen, it's so easy to be shaken, right? And think, what is God up to in this world? And it's important to remember that God is with us in those times of suffering. Important, necessary. We'll be thinking about that through the rest of the service as well. A few announcements before our offering is received. Um, we need more greeters for Loft out in front. Um, so if you are willing to serve, there's a sign-up sheet down below when you go down for coffee, tea, hot chocolate cookies. You can sign up downstairs for that. Uh, worship, application, worship apprentice applications are due on Wednesday. So if you've been thinking about that, the, the window is slowly closing for you to get that application in. And then just uh, getting ready for next week's Sunday, we'll have communion together. And we encourage you to spend the week uh, prayerfully thinking about what Christ has done for us so that when we gather around the feast, we do so with hearts that are ready to do that. A couple of things also as we think about the Community Care Fund. Um, I had the opportunity this week to be in connection with someone who's overseas, a semester abroad, lost a grandparent, and what comfort it brought to her and her family to know that should they need it, and they're trying to determine if she'll fly home for the funeral of a grandparent, should they need it, the Community Care Fund is there for them. And that gave her such peace. Now, there are other resources she may be able to tap into, but I was able to extend to her, who's feeling very far away from her family, the love of the Calvin family to her because of the Community Care Fund. And so just know that the dollar, the five bucks that you throw in, it makes a difference. So thank you for generating, uh, keep generating that money toward loft, towards community care fund, because it makes a difference in our community. And this is how we uh, exercise our giving muscle, right? This is an important muscle that we practice using as followers of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for doing that. And our offering will be received now.
We've been praying for our brother Paul Bursma over the last few weeks, and so here's the news from his dad today. Today we're overflowing with gratitude because Carl's taken a few good steps up the mountain each day since Friday. He seems to be encountering fewer secretions, so he has lung issues, and when the secretions build up, he can't cough. But he's been able to move and clear them with power and endurance. Just as amazing today, for the first time, Paul has been able to tolerate being off daytime oxygen for lengthy periods of time, and he's been sitting up throughout the day. All praise and thanks to God. His last two overnights have been more restful, and oh, how great that has been. So, we know that Paul's beginning to feel better when he goes through his list of all the people he wants to call, <laughs> and all the places he wants to go, and all the things he wants to do. We have to keep reminding him that the best approach is slow, steady, one hour at a time. So, Paul, <laughs> slow, steady, one hour at a time. You'll be back here when it's time for you to be back here. And frankly, we're all sick, so don't, don't, don't come now. Just, just give us a while. Let's pray together. God, what a holy mystery it is that we can come before you in prayer. From the very beginning of time, from the creation of the world, you wanted intimate, direct communication with your beloved human beings. That's amazing. And you keep seeking after us. You don't let us go. You hang on tight. We see that throughout the history of your relationship with people that you keep sending prophets and teachers to remind us about who you are and who you want us to be. Oh, you are so great and glorious and generous. And yet we turn away. We ignore you. We get angry when you don't answer a prayer just as we want. We're impatient. And sometimes we are just, frankly, rebellious. And so, God, part of our prayer, the words that we need to speak are the words, I'm sorry. We're sorry. We're so sorry. We plead your mercy, wide like the sea, to come across us. Some of us are sitting right here tonight with very specific things where we think, oh, I blew that. I, I made a bad choice. I sinned against my holy God. And Lord, we see from the images on the screen how we sin as cities, as states, as nations, as a world. And we're in poverty and injustice reign. And so today, we take a moment to pray for Kurt Beek, who is here on Tuesday, who directs our Honduras program, and we heard from him the lament he has for Honduras. And we stand with him. And God, we are bold to, to ask that you, even this week, will show him how his work is making a difference, that what he is doing matters, 
And we pray that in the dangerous work that he does, that you will guard his life, the life of his wife and the people that they work with. Lord, we pray protection over them in the name of Jesus. We pray that mighty things will be done in Honduras. Many of our students have been there. They carry this country in their hearts. And Lord, we pray for amazing things to happen. We pray for you to unleash the power of your Holy Spirit, a love of righteousness and justice across that country. May people rise up and say, this is enough, we want a different way. And if we're honest, God, we pray that for all of the countries of which we are citizens. We ask that people will stand up and plead for justice, for righteousness, for peacemaking. It's been a week of wars and rumors of wars, a week when presidents stand and speak. And there are disagreements and agreements, and it makes us so glad that you are our king and that our citizenship is in heaven. And Lord, help us to live out that citizenship here on earth, to not put our trust in presidents or princes, but to put our trust in you alone. And we pray that for our brother Paul. We thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for the healing that you have brought into his life. And we pray that it continues. Heal his lungs. Allow him to rest well. Allow his parents to rest well. And we pray, Lord, that you give Paul patience as he waits for his body to heal. And we pray that for all of us who are waiting to be restored from illness or injury, we ask that we will be patient and allow you to do your work within us. God, we pray for the student who lost a grandmother this week, who's far away from family and friends. We pray for her to have wisdom about whether or not to fly home. And we pray for her and her grieving, that you will attend her in your mercy. For all those who grieve, we pray that you will be close. And will you just prick our consciences and remind us of people who have lost loved ones because grief never really goes away, it just changes. So help us to remember on behalf of those who have lost. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive, it is living, it is active. And we can look at a passage we've looked at before and see it in fresh ways, with fresh eyes. And so Lord, we pray that tonight. And we pray that the topic of prayer will not just become an intellectual exercise, but an invitation to intimacy. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and all God's people say, Amen. I invite you to turn to James 5. James is in the New Testament, in the back of the New Testament, found on page 983, page 983. The book of James is a letter from James to Christians who had been scattered about because of persecution. And in the very last bit of the book of James, he talks about prayer. And we're going to be looking at that section. But I invite you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to
going to look at some other stuff too. Page 983, we're going to read from verse 13 through verse 18. James writes this. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who's committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Now, it seems here in James that James is giving us a very easy formula for prayer. Very easy formula. You do this, you do this, and then this happens, like a chemistry experiment. You, you call the elders. That's the first thing you add. And then you have them pray over them. And that's the second thing. Then you have them anoint them with oil. And there you go. It's going to save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anybody who commits sins will be forgiven. Done. A. Nice little formula. So handy. And so tempting. So tempting, isn't it? To think there's some magic formula. And if we just figure out the formula, all of our prayers are going to be answered. And this is bubbled up through Christianity at different points. You'll have people that come from faith traditions that say, it says, the prayer of faith will save. So they'll say, you have to pray in this way, and you have to have enough faith, and if you have enough faith, it'll happen. David James Duncan was here a few years ago. He's an author, and he was speaking at the Festival of Faith and Writing. And he talked about his little brother who died when his brother was seven, and he was very young. And he said, people came to our house and they said to me, if you have faith, your brother will not die. And he's standing on the stage in the Fine Arts Center. And his voice catches. And he says, I guess I didn't have enough faith. Formulas are dangerous. You play a dangerous game when you think, if I just say these magic words, God has to do what I want. And yet it's tempting. It bubbles up. You see it around Christianity all the time. Just pray in this way. Pray this prayer. The prayer of Jabez was popular several years ago. Some of you remember? It's like, just pray this prayer, and these great things are going to happen. Well, there's a difference, friends, between prayer and magic. Magic is 
the person with the wand, let's say, who wants to control what's happening out there. And if I just say the right words and flick my wand the right way, I will have control and things will happen exactly as I want. Prayer is not magic. Think about a good friend, maybe the person you're sitting next to, maybe someone who's right here, someone you enjoy being with, someone you spend time with, come to Loft, I'll come to Loft, let's eat cookies, okay. <laughs> someone you enjoy, someone you have a relationship with. Now, it's been a few days, you haven't seen this person, you kind of miss this person. Imagine if you were to call this person up and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, and I have a list of things for you to do. Um, could you wash um, my laundry? I got a couple loads. And then could you make my bed? And um, I'm out of Diet Coke, so you're going to need to run to Meyer. Um, and while you're there, you might as well uh, drive through Krispy Kreme on the way back and get me some of those ones that are the cream-filled. Not the custard, the cream-filled donuts. Okay, great, thanks, bye-bye. Now, if your beloved friend received that kind of call from you on a regular basis, how much longer would she be your beloved friend? How much longer? Maybe you could get away with that once if you'd been really sick. But other than that, she's not going to put up with it. Why is it that when it comes to our relationship with God, so often that's what we fall into? Hey, I'm going to check in with you every now and then. And when I do check in with you, I'm going to tell you exactly what I want you to do and when I want you to do it. And if you don't do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, then I'm just not going to talk with you anymore. Would we do that to anybody else in this room? I'm going to go with no. We wouldn't do that to another human being, and yet here we are to the Most High God trying to flick our wand and get him to do what we want him to do. If I pray the right way and I do the right things, then God is going to have to do this. It's a dangerous game. Because if the prayer isn't answered the way you want, you have one of two options. Either you didn't pray it right, or God didn't do it right. Do you see how that sets you up to really resent God? I guess David James Duncan says, sadly, I guess I should have had more faith. I wish someone had taken him when he was a little boy and said to him, David, you've got plenty of faith. Let's talk more about this God who loves you. James appears to be formulaic. It appears to be, oh, you got a little problem, you bring the elders, you do the oil, you do the thing, it's all good, it's all going to work. The Lord's going to raise you up, you're going to be healed. Easy, next problem. But James 
is writing to people who are suffering, to people who are hurting. Scholars believe that the James who wrote this letter is the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. Man, he had seen some stuff. And they guess that this letter was written in about year 60. So he's old. He's been at this a while. He's become a leader in the church in Jerusalem, but the church in Jerusalem has been under incredible persecution. All the Jews, which includes Jesus following Jews, who owned land in that area had been pushed off their land and Rome had come in and taken the land and then basically hired them back to work the land that they used to own. The land of their inheritance. The land that told them that God was God, God of the land. They'd been pushed off the land by the Rome and made to work for a pittance. And so if you read through the book of James, which, by the way, will only take you 15 or 20 minutes. It's not very long. So if you want to do that tonight, it's a good idea. What you sense in the book of James is that there's this rich, poor dichotomy that's happening. And so you hear him say right at the beginning, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. And you have to think when a letter starts out like that, these people are not doing very well. And then he goes on and he talks about don't show favoritism to the rich. He warns the rich against abusing the poor. But throughout this letter, again and again and again, he calls people to humility. He calls them to servanthood. He calls them to confession. He calls them again and again and again to remember that God is in control. So that's the framework, that's the context for these little verses at the end of James. Hurting people, suffering people, people who are hopeless, who've had everything taken away, and he writes them, and he says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face any kind of trial. And then look how he frames up this passage. Take a look at verse 7. This is the context of something that could be seen as a formula. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And lead, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You've heard of the endurance of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And then verse 17, Elijah was a human being like us. So those are the examples. That's how he frames it. You've got the prophets, Job, Elijah. That's his context for talking about prayer. The prophets called by God to do incredibly hard things, not very well liked. Some of them ended up in cisterns. Some of them ended up driven out. 
Every time Elijah shows up to Ahab, he says, oh, it's you again, my enemy. Prophet's not well-liked, had a hard life, but an incredibly intimate relationship with the Lord. Job. Job lost everything. He lost everything. And before we want to wrap up the story of Job and put a nice little bow in the end, he got everything back. Yes, but he never found out why it was all taken away. And it's not like God came and said, oh, by the way, I was doing this thing, the enemy came, and we had this little deal. And never found out. But what we see in the life of Job, again, is this incredibly intimate relationship with God in which he can sit in sackcloth and ashes and lament before the face of God, in which he can say to God, I do not know what you are doing. I have no idea what's happening in the world. And God can say to him, I know. I know. Elijah. Elijah has an amazing relationship with God. He's called by God to go speak to evil, to Ahab, to Jezebel. And in a really interesting thing, James uses the prayer here while he prays for rain, prays for it to stop, prays for it to start again. Well, between the pray for it to stop, pray for it to start again, there was this little incident at Mount Carmel. Some of you know about it. They have a showdown with the priests of Baal. What do the priests of Baal do to try and get their god to strike the altar with lightning? What do they do? They dance. Better than that, I'm hoping. <laughs> right? What do they do? They do every formula in the book. They try to manipulate their god. If we do this, he should do something. If we do this, if we dance, if we sing, if we dance harder, if we yell louder, if we cut ourselves, surely that will be enough. Surely we will have manipulated the deity to the point where he will respond. What does Elijah do? What does his prayer say? I'm here on this mountain. All these people are looking. Not really about me now all about you. It's all about your glory. You do what you're going to do. I trust you. And then God responds. Powerful, amazing, one of the great stories. And then right after it, he has to say, and I would please, sir, like some rain. Because he's already said, oh, there's going to be rain. It's going to rain. Rain's going to come. And then he's got to go up on a mountain, and he crutches down, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he says to his servant, is there anything yet? No. Praise, and he prays, and he prays. Servant says, I see a cloud, but it's the size of a, like the, a man's hand. Is that what we're looking for? Is that, is that it? That's good. So James here has the example. He could have said, remember Elijah, and he prayed for the lightning, and it came down from heaven. He said, no, 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 no. Remember Elijah? He prayed for the rain to come back, and it did. Size of a man's hand first. 
Remember Elijah? After this incident, he flees into the wilderness because he thinks no one's around him. Remember Elijah? He was hurting and he was tired and he was suffering. So James says, if any of you are suffering, pray. And by that, he doesn't offer some formula. Dance a little more, sing a little more, cut yourself, be louder, that'll work. What James is portraying here is an intimate relationship between God and God's people. A bold relationship in which we can grab the lapels of our covenant God and say, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing in my life. I see images of pain. I feel them around me. I hear stories of loss. And I don't know what you're up to in the world. When James says, as any of you are suffering, pray, that's the kind of prayer he's talking about. Grab God by the lapels. This is a real relationship. This is intimate. This is your covenant God who wants you to be honest with him. And the word that he uses here when he says, are any of you happy? Are any of you cheerful? The word is really, are any of you contented? Are any of you in a place where you have grown to be kind of okay, even though the world isn't perfect? Are you in that place? Oh man, then sing songs of praise. That's what he's talking about. And this is also why James says, are you, are you hurting? Well, don't just sit there. Like, get people around you. Get people around. Gather the elders. Gather people who know you. Gather people who are going to walk into the middle of your sorrow and touch you and bless you and anoint you with oil and have intimacy with you in a beautiful, spiritual, powerful way. That's why he says, don't, don't do this all by yourself. You've got to have intimacy. You've got to have community. Gather the elders around you if you're suffering. Don't just hang out there flapping and think, nobody's going to understand. I'm all by myself. James is like, no, 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 no. Gather the elders for pity's sake. Get people around you. Don't try to do this by yourself. The end of the book of James is all about relationship, relationship with the divine and relationship with a community of faith who will hold you up. will hold you up. There are lots of questions we have about prayer. One of the ones we wonder about is, does this even change God's mind? Does this even make a difference? And what we see again and again and again in Scripture is that it does. The danger comes when we think that prayer has to work. My friendship with Paul doesn't have to work. It has to be a friendship. That's what James is inviting us to do. 
have a relationship. Stop keeping score. This prayer got answered, this prayer didn't. This prayer got a yes, a no, a maybe, I have no idea. Do you keep score in any other relationship? James is inviting us to see our God as the God who draws near in the person of Jesus Christ. And the person of Jesus Christ in his teaching on earth said to us, ask. Ask. Ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. While two or three are gathered to you together, there I am. Ask in my name. And it was Jesus who gave us the perfect model of prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, yes. More poignantly, in the garden. When he knelt down, drops like sweat dripping off him, pleaded with God, I don't want this. Take this from me. And then he said, Not my will, but yours be done. And that, my friends, is the difference between prayer and magic. Because in magic, we want to control. And in prayer, we release control to the only one who can really have it. Not my will, but yours be done. And when we get to that point, friends, prayer is powerful and effective because it is transforming us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's powerful and effective, not just because of what it can do, because of what God often chooses to do through it. It is powerful and effective because it changes us more and more into the image of Jesus when we can pray, not my will, but yours be done. And that is some of our hardest spiritual work. Let me read the end of the email from Paul's father. As we've been expressing from the very beginning, our hearts have been deeply and broadly warmed by the outpouring of support from Paul's many communities. Our prayer all along has been, Lord, please restore to us our precious Paul. But Lord, more than anything, teach us to pray, your will be done. Lord, we desperately want healing for Paul. But if that healing isn't going to be for this life, then we will rejoice in the promise of ultimate healing in the life to come. I love how he says, more than anything, teach us to pray. Your will be done. God is inviting us tonight into a relationship, into intimacy, into love. We get there by saying, not our will, but yours be done. And we're actually now going to pray together. And we invite you to gather with just two or three, just turn toward each other and think about these things. Are any of you suffering? 
Are any of you feeling contented? Are any of you grateful? Suffering, contented, grateful. Take some time, just turn in groups of two or three. I know this is a stretch for some of you. You don't have to pray out loud. You could pray silently. Just sit and enjoy the presence of our God. Let's turn toward each other in prayer.